0: the Nighttime Show. I am your host, Stephen Kramer Glickman, and with us always is our head writer and producer, Matt Walker. Today, we are blessed to be in the home of our guest today, Oscar winner and star of Code Black, one of my favorite actresses in the world, and uh, one of the most incredible w- w- women I've ever met, ladies and gentlemen, Marcia Gay Harden. Yeah! yeah, We're doing it! Yeah, here we are, yeah. Steve. We've done it, we're here, yeah. it's wonderful. This how home, are you, how are you this today?
1: This home is incredible, by the way. Oh, thank you, yeah, yeah your home good. is so gorgeous. Steve is Steve, I can walk, take yeah, him off? Yeah, you can take him off if you so want. So now he says I can take my, I put, sure. he made a big deal about putting him on, All so right, you so want Okay, If it sounds dorky, I'll take them off. <laughs> <laughs> We're not talking clothing people. Yes, We're talking, <laughs> right? <I'll> take it <laughs> off. <laughs> Your
0: home is so gorgeous. I mean, literally, uh, it's like a it's like a Pinterest dream. Like every <laughs> single yeah, it's kind of Pinterest, right? It really is. Yeah. Like it's not great, just
1: so people get the right idea. It's not like fancy schmancy. But
0: right? it's like it's so cool. Like every single uh thing is is like stylized in some way even like like the doorknobs the like the the light fixtures everything like the just the corner the the crown molding everything is really pretty yeah, it's, it's a beautiful a of, place you
1: know what's cool is there's a lot of wood yeah, so like you go yeah. into places that don't have real materials, and unless it's a super great modern design, like yeah. you know solar this that and another in and green modern great angles, it's a little irritating because it feels kitschy at times. Where it can yeah. cookie cutter. So this one was older, but there's a lot of wood. But it's not just any wood; it's like Tibetan doorway oh, it's so wood. Cool. Yeah, your
0: front door is the gorgeous front door is really too. Cool. I we we were we yeah. both like stopped and had to like take it in. Like it was very. It's very oh, cool. Yeah, and your <laughs> backyard's really neat. You have a beautiful mm-hmm. pool and you have a pizza
1: oven in Come the back? Come on, a pizza oven. A <laughs> pizza oven? <Which, laughs> by the way, because when I, I haven't been here long. I've been here for like for two years. So when we first, I first came, I was like, immediately, got to use a pizza oven. So I threw a party for my kids. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I was just using the pizza oven for warmth. And um, the trees got <laughs> on fire. What? <laughs> oh, my I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's a pizza oven. You just load it up with wood and go. And it was really nice and warm. And I'm like, shit, all those leaves up there are crumbling black. and like right now because of the drought when the drought was bad I don't think I would have been allowed to do it but now I can again because it's damp.
0: Oh, it's gorgeous, and you have uh, like a cool little guest house, and you've got up top. There's like a ping pong. You've got ping pong. Yeah, I'm very a domestic Polly. I'm pretty yeah. much a,
1: a domestic. Like I literally, I think I'm married to my crock pot. <laughs>
0: have you have you <laughs> always been that way, or has there been like when uh, when you because you lived in New York for a long yeah. time? W- what what were you like? Like what was your yeah, the home same. life? I sort of got the
1: same. Fifth floor walk up in the West Village. Um, but my little area, you know, the beds are always made. That's pretty much like what my mother taught me. The beds are always made. But it was a cool fifth floor walk up. I mean, you know, down in the village, you climb out on the fire escape. You climb up to the roof and oh, yeah. you look at the stars and you you duck. There was this like guy, who. this is a horrible story, but this guy used to live across from us. So your backyard and then there's like their backyard and then the back of their building, right? Mm-hmm. So that's how it's set up in New York for people who don't know. And um, his window was like, this guy's window was like ac- exactly across from mine, but off to the right. So you didn't think that he could sort of see my windows. And he used to sit up there and masturbate him you to- <laughs> were... <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Steven, hours. Hours? Hours. Hours. But- He would he had a drafting chair. That was
2: the uh, the triple X parody of rear window. Yeah. Oh my god. I'm domestic
1: poly in my house and then across the way from me is this like guy. And he would crank his drafting chair up to make sure that his knees were above the sill so everybody could see everything. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh word. Oh no. I didn't realize like at first I was like, what is this guy? Like it's always sitting in his window and I think he's naked. I don't want to look, I don't want to look. And then after a while, like the day I realized it. I look at my like, Fuck He's doing that And he can see That it's me Or he's doing it Either for me Or for somebody Just further down the way uh. So I dropped to the floor And I turned all the lights Out <laughs> in my apartment Which of course he can see Yeah And I crawl over to the edge And peer over the, And duck down And what happened Was a dude knew My schedule for Mages in America So he knew When I would get home Get the He knew when uh, I would Get here. ready to go To the theater He knew when I would Come home from the theater And he would be there Waiting in full wow. Display Yeah Like a uh, he was like window dressing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. was <laughs> he, 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 he he so you know, creepy. Did you yell at him from across the street and just like, finish you know, already. I got go to go to bed. Host? Hurry up.
1: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anything I can do to help, let's just get <laughs> it down.
0: Oh, my God. I, yeah, I know. That's terrible. That's terrifying.
1: It, well, it's weird because I talked to a therapist about it. And they were like, he doesn't sound dangerous. It sounds like that's his... Peevish, sort of. What is the thing with the P? Proclivity, not proclivity. Um, perverted. Perverted. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Not perversion. perversion. That's his perversion. Got his it. peevish perversion on some level. Sure. That sure. That is proclivity. Um, but yeah, that was the thing he liked to do. So they, she didn't think he was dangerous. He wasn't like a raper or a stalker. He was a um, exhibitionist.
0: Wow. I know that is so bizarre. I know
1: it's creepy, right? Yeah,
0: New York is such a many strange more place. in the
1: world than we think of. Just like to kind of hang out and do things to see who what anonymous people would get a a rise out of it so to speak forgive the pun oh my god I know
0: I remember one time I was living in New York and a guy ran down the street with his uh, with his dick out, and he was jerking off and running down the street oh towards me and that's a bunch of other people. It's, and look, I missed and my no cab. one. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> had <laughs> no no one on the street flinched.
1: No, everyone no. was like,
0: "No, no there's okay, Greg." Whatever,
1: there he yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. one cared. But that requires incredible skill. It's <laughs> <sort of laughs> to run and jerk off at the same
0: would, time. As I, that yeah. sounds
1: hard. Yeah, the, yeah, I can't. My last little thing was I was on a subway once, and I. Was just watching this guy, and I thought, "Oh, it's a big umbrella." And it was not. <laughs> yeah. It was not an not umbrella. An umbrella. And you're just like, and everyone's just on the subway, just you know, going on about their day. Oh my! Yeah. So he but was God. not
2: circumcised.
1: What, was apparently. Oh, no! <laughs> the sitting thing. That was the
0: best. Horrifying. You know,
1: but it's 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 funny what you get used to, and of course, for anybody you know who hasn't been to New York, that's what they think it is all the time, because of course, those are the crazy stories we yeah. tell. Right. But it's. Really a wonderful, pretty friendly place you just have to get used to. Like did you ever go down to the West Village to Murray's cheese shop? Did you know Murray's cheese in the West Village? I don't know. It was great. It was this old butcher and cheese guy and I'd occasionally go in there for coffee when I first moved there. He'd be like, "You want coffee?" I think, "Why are you yelling at me? What did I do?" But then you realize that's just the way they're talking. They're just like direct. You want coffee or not? You know, and you say, "Yeah, I, I want coffee." <laughs> and pretty soon, I just I came to love it.
0: That, that's uh, and that's you were living there before they, uh, you know, Disney came in and and turned Times Square into yeah into Disney, mini Disneyland because I I went there in nineteen uh, ninety. 1990- 6 maybe 5 6 and i remember being like oh this is a this is kind of a dangerous place like yeah. times square was like kind of a dangerous place yeah. and then suddenly it was like you know just broadway it was yeah just it broadway. was
1: more like 9th and 10th avenue that to me seemed dangerous and sure. 8th around penn station seemed a little bit sketch but it was a weird thing when that happened with Disney because, like, there's a whole bunch of people who hated it. They hated the Disney theater. They hated the Lion King. They hated that they were getting rid of all, like, the porn shops and the, sure. you know, whatever jerk-off places. Your, your neighbor
2: it. across the way. Yeah,
1: my neighbor. Yeah, really yeah, hated right. it. <laughs> yeah, but, he was but, like, very upset. hipsters hated it. Yeah. People who, like, want to – who don't want things to be gentrified. But then I'm thinking, but, dude, it brought so much – good commerce to the city and those you know cockroaches will find their spot i'm yeah. sorry i'm Absolutely. not worried i'm not so worried about them so i was kind of on the um again polydomestic i was on the side of people like well, well i can see the i can see the good in it <laughs> uh it brought a lot more theater and opportunity and i think the tourism in new york is fantastic right yeah now. <laughs> it is
0: and the shows that are happening on yeah. broadway right now are incredible the last time i was there it was uh, I think Glass Menagerie was back on oh, yeah. Broadway with uh, Darren. I think it was Darren Chris or someone like that. It was like a. It was a great. The cast. The cast. I know Brian Smith
1: kept... was in Glass. I think Glass Menagerie, yeah, but I, I don't know so. who's the lead. I just flew my son. We went up to see Ben Platt before he left. Evan Hansen.
0: How was that? <sighs>
1: Come on! It was amazing. amazing. It was amazing because my son's all into musical theater, so I was like, "What can I do that'll be really special for him? He really wants to see Ben Platt." So we had a mother son weekend, and it was so oh, cool. Wow. Yeah, we went up, we saw Ben, we had lunch in Soho, and we spent the weekend wow. there and came back. Yeah. We
0: were just Matt and me were just talking on the drive here about South Pacific because <laughs> uh, we were talking about musicals and. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma and things yeah. like that. Um, and I'm a, I'm, you know, I'm a big musical theater nerd. Like, did you, did you do any musicals when no, you were in New York? Or did you, no, no you stayed I away I hate First
1: of all, I, I like those old musicals, but I didn't like them. The musicals are really different these days. I think yeah, Evan sure? Hansen is different. Um, come from away is different bands visit. There's something which is more relaxed and accessible. Now I liked those, but first of all, I can't sing, which, um, I can't sing Mm -hmm. so I can't hold a friggin (laughs) so you wouldn't want me in a musical Um, I had to take singing class when I was in acting school and it was the joke of the class that people would skip class because when I would sing it would make me it would make me (laughs) cry because it's so emotional Mm. and also because I sound like shit so (laughs) I would like had to see my teacher maybe sing um, from the king and I I have dreamed that your arms are lovely Mm -hmm. but I wasn't allowed to sing it like I have dreamed I had to sing it like I have dreamed I was like I'm not
0: Singing out there—that's not me. So I
1: wasn't really a huge musical theater fan, but I am now more than I ever used to be.
0: Were you a, a drama? I mean, you're a, a drama. A drama. Yeah. Are you a drama yeah. fan? Yeah, drama. Of drama. Dramas. Um, where did you Where did you grow up? Let's start there. Oh, well,
1: Dad was in the Navy, so we were. Is that fine? Can, yeah. We're fine. It's Here's just jackhammering people jackhammering <laughs> in the backyard.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, my dad was in the Navy, so we kind of grew up all over. But I started in California. Then uh, we were stationed in Japan for a while. Then, you know, just the trajectory is uh, I went to school. We came back to Texas, then Maryland and Virginia and Washington, D.C. And, you know, you move like once a year. Where in California were you born? Well, I was born in... um, in La
0: Jolla. Okay. Oh yeah, wow. At yeah. Scripps Memorial.
1: Oh no yeah. Way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's
0: where I, that's where I grew up. Was down down south. Oh yeah. In Encinitas. Okay. area, Carlsbad area. It's, yeah.
1: I don't know anything about it other than <laughs> that I fell off a of bed and had to go to the hospital down there in my <laughs> in my later years during yeah. God of Carnage, but um, it's beautiful and we sure. were then we lived in Long Beach near Disneyland mm-hmm. and then. You know, very, just a really – are either of you know anything about military life? You move, I move every
3: – know. like women every women couple women, years yeah. you're
2: yeah. picking up and moving, yeah.
1: Every couple of years. So that's kind of what we did. So we, there were five kids in our family, so we were sort of our own neighborhood. Yeah. Japan was amazing, fantastic. Um, like, I, it changed me to be a young kid and go – overseas and realize that on basic level people are di- people are we're the same but we're different mm-hmm. and that america's not the only game in town i mean and i think the first thing you see is what's different about you but then that you see like we saw the coca-cola sign and that made me feel yeah great yeah but um they have like the you know benjo digits i mean even the way they went to the bathroom yeah. was different they because sure. not in these days they have the toilets that like massage you, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like in my day, when I was you there, you squat. You squatted on yeah. these little cement mm-hmm. things where you put your feet, and that's what you did. Like black holes in the ground, and the sewage went out into the street, like you know, uh, untreated. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! So mm,
2: Yeah, I was wow. just in mm-hmm. China, mm-hmm. and I made sure, like, whenever we go somewhere, we're like, do you have Western toilets or do you have traditional toilets? And they would tell you, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna go. Next door. (laughs) Are
1: are the um, traditional also the same? Yeah, it's just like like you squat.
2: It's like a hole in the ground and you squat over it and that's sort of what it is.
1: There's like some paltry treatment system with the building system, but then when it goes out to the street, it's like barely treated. So at the time, it was not pretty. It didn't smell good. It was beautiful, but now it's completely different.
0: Wow. Oh, my
2: God. So how did you get
0: into- I'm fully in
2: favor of gentrifying all the toilets around the
1: world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Gentrify the toilets. I will lead. Let's lead that hashtag.
1: <laughs> Clearly, you're no campers here at this table, right. right? No,
0: no, no, no. One time, I went camping with my aunt and uncle uh, in a parking lot in 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 uh, I don't think that counts. Yeah, in Orange County, <laughs> no,
1: it does it in a trailer in Orange yeah. County.
0: There's no camping in Orange County. No, we were like on the beach in some parking lot in Orange County, and uh, in an RV, in an RV. Yeah, yeah, we went like RV camping. Anyway, and I've driven across country with mm-hmm. my mom in her RV a few times, and that is a that's a lot of fun.
1: I friggin love yeah. that. such I, a good time. When I was doing God of Carnage, um Jeff Daniels is a big mm-hmm. RVer. And he would so say, do it, Marcia, do it. And I had just gotten divorced, and I was like, I need to do something on my own, and I can do it. I'm going to take the kids RVing. And James Galifani would say, are you out of your fucking mind? And he said, there's crazy people out what? there in the RVs, Marsha. you got to take a bodyguard. I'm like, James, I don't want to take a yeah. Take someone who could drive the car for you. I'm like, James, I'm not going to get a bodyguard, because then I have to figure out where the bodyguard's going yeah. to sleep. I don't want him like, snoring in the front seat. You know, I want it to be family time. He's like, yeah, no, there's crazy people. So Jeff convinced me to do it. And I figured if there's a bunch of fat people in their 80s from Wisconsin can do it, so can I. Yeah, totally. So I rented an RV. And I took the kids to the Southwest and back. And then, uh, and then a couple times, you know, we, t- we went to like Sedona and other, mm-hmm. Yosemite, not in the RV. And then the RV to Sedona and other places. So beautiful. Have to hook up the little poopy thing by yourself. This is all, this entire yeah. thing is oh, about yeah. poop. And that's mm-hmm. all we're talking about is below yeah. the belt. I know. My um, God. Right. That's I'm it. so sorry. By the way, th- but, this
2: all sounds like the setup for a great movie. Like this is the setup and then something bad happens.
1: It's true. There's the payoff. It, yeah. it was yeah. actually really, really cool do- doing it. But then I, started doing it in my life like okay if I had to take the kids to camp and I was in New York I'd rent mm-hmm. an RV from my place in New York and take them out to camp yeah. and it was just really cool but then we were coming back once visiting my ex-dad and um we're like god it's late it's late what do we do and you know any place in America you can spend the night at a Walmart if you're in an RV and <laughs> yeah. you don't have to pay for it 100%. right mm-hmm. so yeah. the kids were like mom let's do the Walmart just to do it and I was like, Dudes, we're not going to spend the night in a Walmart yeah. in the RV and they're like come on mom why not so we we in rural Rochester area, New York, and we found a local Walmart. And we pulled in, and we went inside the Walmart and bought everything you could. And mm-hmm. came out, and the kids found those um, those wheelchairs, you know, for like handicap people oh, you yeah, drive around yeah. shopping in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they had roller derby in the parking lot it was like oh, the best it was so, <laughs> good. so yeah. much fun it was really good that's I, a really good time I know there was like the guard who would come over like Do you it hard and I said like, yes I am he goes let me get a picture of you <laughs> me and my wife we're gonna look at this picture it's on they, they loved it wow. <laughs> in the Walmart they
0: oh my me. god wow. that's amazing <laughs> hey I know we got a lot of artists and a lot of musicians that listen to the nighttime show and have uh, been on the nighttime show but I'll tell you what a lot of them are missing they're missing merch okay and it is very easy to have an amazing merch store with artist shops by Threadless Just add your art to hundreds of clothing, accessories, and home decor items in just minutes. Plus, it's fully customizable, so you can make your shop totally unique to your style. But the best part is, here's the best part, it's 100% free to sign up. Zero minimums, zero monthly fees. You even set your own prices so you can control how much money goes into your pocket, and with millions of dollars paid to artists to date, there is a lot of mula to be made, okay? Artists, designers, podcasters, free up all the time that you'd be spending at the post office, shipping, dealing with customer service, and put it towards what you love, being creative, okay? Threadless takes care of the rest of it. And with 100,000 shop owners and 4 million users, just join the party. Head to artistshops.com forward slash SKG to sign up right now. That's artistshops.com forward slash SKG. SKG, to sign up right now. Also, The Nighttime Show partnered with Threadless, so whew, we have something amazing. You need to go check it out. We got mugs, shower curtains, uh, I mean t-shirts, sweaters, anything you can imagine. We have it for sale, Nighttime Show style. Go check it out. It's the Nighttime thenighttimeshow.threadless.com. That's TheNighttimeShow.threadless.com, and check out our store with all of our cool stuff. It's so awesome! Let's get back to the show. <laughs> now, wait. Now, God of Carnage. You did you do that? Sh- you did that show on Broadway. Yeah. And you won the Tony for that show. But did you also test that show out? At La Jolla Playhouse, or where did you guys test that no, show? Where we, did that um, show start?
1: We did it, no, we didn't test it at all. We just did it didn't, on you Broadway. Just did it
0: straight, oh, straight to Broadway. Yeah.
1: yeah, because it had already been in France. And um, Yasmina oh, Reza. Wow had written it and directed it in France. And when she did it in France, it was like three and a half hours, and it was, um, you know, very, very serious and very French. And then (laughs) Matthew Warchus took it, and he's British, and he took it and he did it in England. And he said, no, 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 it's really quite a comedy, isn't it? And so he made it, an hour and a half, no intermission, and it was a comedy, and he was like, I, I must tell you actually, because then he directed us the same way, mm-hmm. he was yeah. like, I must tell you, actually, there are no pauses, really perhaps, for the first twenty minutes I mean not not a pause, not a pause wow. like why?" <laughs> one not a pause, huh? Nobody talks like that. People pause. I said, no, no, trust me, it's not a pause. And so it was that it infused it with that nervous energy of when people are just meeting each other, and no one wants there to be a pause because God forbid there's a pause, then you know, I'm are you terrified of pauses? Uh, yeah, no, I'm
0: very okay. terrified of pauses. I'm terrified, I'm, get, pauses. I, terrified of pauses. You're terrified of pauses too. Well, I get nervous. I get, I get very get nervous. nervous. Of, you know, because get, it gets quiet. Because then get, who's
1: going to say something? Right?
0: Because you have to pick. It's up It's like it. that scene in Pulp
2: but, Fiction with Travolta and Uma Thurman, and she talks about the pause in the conversation and, like, how it just, like, hangs there. Yeah. yeah.
1: See, you know all the references, but you're not you're not afraid of pauses, I no. think. No. No. I- yeah. I'm
2: okay with making things awkward. It doesn't bother me. Yeah, <laughs> <so> awkward. Awkward <laughs> kills me. I become the
1: dancing seal. So in this moment, it was mm-hmm. like and we all had to be dancing seals until I think Jeff— spoke like his character's probably the first one who could take the first pause so then it's like music you hear it like music Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. mm-hmm. and if you don't have the you don't hear the pause yeah. So who
0: who was in the in that original cast with you that's jeff daniels
1: jeff daniels hope um and uh, hope davis and me oh my god mm-hmm. and gandolfini
0: James Gandol and James Gandolfini, one of the great, one of the greats. Yeah, he's so yeah.
1: beautiful. He's yeah. a really generous, kind, beautiful person. Wow. Yeah,
0: that's incredible. That must have been uh, just such a wonderful experience working on a show like that. I just that, remember
1: peeing my pants, laughing in <laughs> rehearsal. Like, I'm not joking. Like, peeing in the <laughs> pants because we'd be rehearsing, and for a long time, I a mean, long time. You know, you have got four weeks of rehearsal, so a long time is a week, right? But for a long time, Gandolfini was, you know, not Really, it's not that he wasn't understanding. He wasn't, he hadn't hit that moment where the frustration of this character (laughs) trying to be nice, of this brute, the frustration of the brute trying to be nice was where all the comedy was. So he was really trying to be nice, but he wasn't having the frustration. Then one day, in the play, his mother calls him like for the 15th friggin' time, his mother calls him. And when he picks up the phone, you know, he's being nice. But it's, we, we were falling off the couch every time he did it. We just were falling off the couch because it was, it was that aha moment. It was so clear that suddenly he'd been bang and that's it. And, you know, there's four characters in that play, so each one has their own music. Each one is a different corner of the stage. Each one brings something. And when he nailed down his corner, it was we're done. We, we wow! stop laughing. Oh my yeah, god! It was good.
0: That's incredible. Um, what, uh, what what other shows have you done on Broadway besides
1: Just Angels?
0: Just mm-hmm. Angels in America. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now that is that how you got your start? Like, what was your first big role that you got to do?
1: On Broadway, Angels, yeah,
3: Those Angels, wow,
1: yeah. I got my start in a really, um, a really amazingly traditional. Like I'm so freaking amazingly traditional that I that that I ever got a start is kind of amazing. Like <laughs> I know nobody in the business. I knew nobody in the business. I was.
0: Go ahead, Steve. Well, no, your first your first IMDB credit, which we always love to test IMDB, and IMDB knows that we test them. Like <laughs> yeah. we've spoken yeah. about us testing them. <laughs> Testers. Is uh that your first your first credit, and tell us if it's right or wrong, is a short film uh called Not only Strangers. That's what it says, your first credit.
1: Is. Who does it say directed that one?
0: That it says was Edward Dim. Dimitric? Oh, Dimitri. Yeah, Dimitri.
1: He's a great editor. was a great editor. A Russian guy. Not only strangers, but yes, the truth mm-hmm. is I don't remember it at all. <laughs> I don't remember it at all. And then all. it
0: says you were a dancer, uncredited, in the in the movie Footloose.
1: They were so wrong. It's Honeysuckle Rose, Willie Nelson's, because I was a groupie for Willie Nelson. I was not a dancer in Footloose. And if I was, I would have asked for residuals.
0: <laughs> wow, really? <laughs>
1: yeah. So uh, you tested him. And yeah, you I'm won. testing them.
0: We're win- we're winning right now. You want to? Yeah. Here's the third one. Yeah, third okay. one is the image maker. You played the stage manager in the movie The Image yes, Maker. Yes, with
1: Michael Nuri, maybe.
0: Uh huh. Michael Nuri. How yeah. We- yeah. How weiner. How weiner. Weiner.
1: Weiner. 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 weiner, weiner. <laughs> but the thing is, I don't remember. It. I don't remember. Anything. Sure. Do you remember the first thing you ever? Did? Uh, I thought the first thing I ever did was an industrial. Actually, where I was like showing. People, how to be? that wasn't industrial, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Yeah, or was showing people how to. Um, spot terrorist, and I was a terrorist, and you know how you knew I had on a black beret.
0: <laughs> what? Are you serious? That is yeah. amazing. That's how I got my <laughs> union
1: cards. Right? <laughs> right. So if you see anyone in a black beret, <laughs> I got my <laughs>
0: I got my SAG card because I got cast on a TV show on uh, some, some network. Um, you the UP. UPN. Is that the football one? no it was before that it was on uh a show called one-on-one on one, and okay. on the show yep. i got cast to Is it wear and Tamara, i think so yeah i had to wear a, a, a dress they mm-hmm. called me and they said okay. would you be okay to wear a little bo peep costume uh-huh. on tv yeah. and i said i'm already wearing one <laughs> yeah. and they said great it's it's uh it's like two sag points or whatever and and i was like oh my god oh, that's yeah. amazing so cool and then i get to the to the day to go shoot and they tell me uh oh we wrote your part out of the script you're not in oh, it no. anymore but, but then sag stepped in and they were like you already signed him oh. him up for so these you got two paid days for so nothing. i still got paid for two days and i still got my your sag two points Bo for the, points. Yeah, yeah
1: Those are now going to be called Bo Peep points. (laughs) Bo Peep points. Get them Bo Peep points.
0: I love that. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I did it. I got my union card with industrials and and extra work and, you know, a Woody Allen film or Oliver Stone was coming to town and doing, I think, Born on the 4th. And you sign up for Central Casting extra work. Mm So that's it. You know, and I, like, my thought was I need to load my gun, so to speak, before I go to New York. So I went to New York with my equity card and my SAG card, my after card, that's how how it it seemed to be safe. And when I landed, I I would swear to God, I was in an A-line skirt and character shoes. Like that's really, I got off the bus. Wow. Because I was doing, I had gone up there kind of seeing the territory, deciding if I could be there. And I'd been staying, I know, I'd been staying, flopping on someone's couch in the West Village, East Village. And um, I responded to a backstage magazine ad for a play, off, 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 Broadway, and I got it.
0: Wow. Can you imagine? Oh, my God. Right? So
1: I got it, and then I would go back to D.C. to do this thing, and then I'd take the plane that night to do the play. It was really kind of wild and crazy when I think about it. But the fact of even being in a play, and then someone came to see the play, Tyrone Power Jr. was in the play. Wow. Right? So, Amazing. And um, Bader Hauer was in the play, and she was the daughter of Barbara Hauer. Mm-hmm. And I know Bader now. Um Anyway... Oh. Long story short, I got the play. This amazing woman named Mary Ellen Mulcahy came to see the play. And she was at J. Michael Bloom Agency, and she brought agents to see the play, and after the play, I got signed.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. It
1: was crazy. That's amazing. It's amazing, That's right? really
0: so uncommon, yeah. that things like that. It was That's really incredible. uncommon. Well,
1: I got like on the signed list. I had to go back and do some summer stock or something before I actually go there. But they literally flew down to Olney, Maryland, in D.C. to see me do summer stock theater. Whoa. I know. And I was in... know you arrive someplace I'd had this brag sheet of all the work I'd ever done in DC everything a critic ever said that was good about me I had it on a paper because if a critic said it my god it must be true (laughs) right of course (laughs) of course hire me
3: And, um,
1: (laughs) and I uh I had this brag sheet and I remember I took it into this casting director Okay, I'll tell you that one in a minute. That's actually a good story. I had, but I had the brag sheet, and that's kind of how I ended up getting things. When I got off the bus, and you expect like you're there, so you're like, "Where's Scorsese? Right? Yeah. <laughs> did, did Spielberg yeah. not get the memo? Right. Mind sure. me up at the airport. In town. Yeah. Right, right. Oh my
0: God. And you
1: don't you think maybe at the end of a year you'll be starring. But when teachers say it's 10 years from the time you graduate to the time that you maybe will get your first working role where you make a teeny little bit of money, um, they're right, it's about 10 years. There is this one, like I think about young people now, and they're like, "What? What can you tell us about young people?" And I think there's something so amazing about being a beginner in things because you don't really know the rules, so you don't really follow the rules, right? Right. Sure. So that's kind of cool, and it's not arrogant. You just don't really know them, yeah. and there is this obtuseness about me in the face of blind ambition. Like, why would that be ugly? <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Why? Why is blind and aggressive ambition ugly? I don't get it. Right. Yeah. How else yeah. are you gonna get where you go? So I had was living in D.C. and now have my sad cards, I had my brag sheet, and I got a, um, a notice from a friend that this casting director named Mary Lynn Henry who cast for ABC soap operas was looking for a character who had dark hair. And I was like... <gasps> It's me (laughs) I have dark hair And further They were looking For character This character's father Was in the Navy And I was like (gasps) My father was in the Navy This part was written for me So she just has to meet me So she was going out To Catholic University In D.C. Which I didn't go to Catholic University. I was a waitress in DC, but I said, I'm going to, they, they her people said, she will meet you. After she meets all the Catholic University people, she will meet you. So I got my brag sheet, I got my um, picture and resume. I jumped in my yellow VW convertible on a rainy day, and I drove out to Catholic University to meet her. And as I got there, a car was pulling away. I was four minutes late. Oh. And I ran in, and I was like, is Marilyn Henry here? And they were like, oh, I'm sorry, she just left. And I'm like, huh! and I burst into immediate tears. I said, like, mm-hmm. how could she just left? I, I'm, she was supposed to meet me, I'm Marcia Gay Harden, and I had a picture and resume, and I needed to give, give it to her. And they're like, well, we're sorry, she just left. And I said, well, where did she go? And they said, well, the airport. She's going back to New York. And I said, well, which airport? And they said, well, we can't give you that information. <laughs> But there's a pretty good chance it's not Dulles. I was like, <gasps> <laughs> National! So I jump in my VW and I r- drive through the rain to... <laughs> Stephen is shaking his head right now. This those is of just... You who
0: can't see. I'm my my i 100% with you. I this go is amazing. to National
1: Airport and I park my car in the no-parking zone because she's probably mm-hmm. getting on the way right now. And I race in to um, People's Express because that was the airplane that I always took. People's Express was like a $20. You could literally get a ticket for $20. Mm-hmm. You put your own stuff in storage claim, baggage claim. Uh, so I jump, I go to People's Express and I'm like, you know, is there? can you play, pay to Mary Henry, please? And they're like, uh Marilyn Henry the Marilyn Henry and they go they look on their roster and they go we don't have a Marilyn Henry on this flight and I said it's an emergency it's an emergency <laughs> <laughs> I wow. need to see Marilyn Henry I'm like I'm sorry uh, we don't have it said she's on a 130 flight and they're like well we don't have a 130 flight all the half hour flights and then they couldn't say it. I said, "What? What? What airline?" They go, well, the the half hour flights are like you know New York Air or something. I was like, "Okay, so can you call over there and see if she's on New York Air?" They're like, we can't give you that information, but all the half hour flights are New York Air. I'm like, "Okay," so I ran over to New York Air. And as I get there, they've literally just shut the door on mm-hmm. the turnstile. I guess that's what you call it, the airplane. Yeah. They've shut the door on the airplane. Oh my and I, I say to the woman, <laughs> I said, this is, hi, hi, this is an emergency. My mm-hmm. name is Marsh Gay Harden, and I have to see Marilyn Henry. They opened the door. This is clearly before 9-11. <laughs> they oh let God. me on the front of the plane. I stand in first class, and they say, is there a Marilyn Henry on board? And I'm looking through the back of the plane, you know, to coach where I mm-hmm. would sit. And this woman sitting right below me raises her hand and says, I'm Marilyn Henry. And I said, hi, I'm Fortune. Yeah. I was supposed to have met you at Catholic University and I missed you, but this is my picture and resume. And I think I'd be perfect for the part on the soap opera. And she said, don't you ever. And like all, by the way, all yeah. first class is like watching intently. And she says, don't you ever do that again. And everyone suddenly like covers their eyes and they look down and I start to cry and they're like, I said, "Why?" She goes, "Well, my husband was traveling today, and I thought he'd been in an accident, and I, I thought that you know there was a, an emergency." Yeah. I said, "Well, no, it's just me, Marcie." One one. There's no problem. And now, first class is like cringing. They're like sliding oh. down in their seats, and she says, "Well," and I hand her my brag sheet, and she says, "Well." Clearly, you're very talented and you want this meeting very much. So, if you call my office, I will give you audience on Monday. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. And I leave, and as I leave first class, it's like clapping. And, clapping. and I get off and I go meet her. Mm-hmm. And I meet her on that following Monday. And she says again, clearly, you're very talented. But she says, you don't quite have the face <laughs> to be in soap opera. Um, and she talked to me about you know certain plastic surgeons and things like that that <laughs> wow. I would need to be in soap oh opera. God. She was very nice to me, and mm. she was always an incredible fan, and she literally gave me one of the best stories of my entire life that That's I could amazing on Just, her plane, yeah. right? I mean, it's so cool. That's an applause. It's so cool. <laughs> if you're at
0: home listening, you applaud. Yes. To, right. that, is, that is an amazing story. But
1: who would do that today? If you knew the rules, well, because
0: also today, if
2: you do that, somebody's shooting it. It's oh, on YouTube, true. and then you have no career after that because then everybody knows you're the crazy person. That you know what? Up on
1: you you can't do that today. Yeah, you can't. But but the idea even of it, like finding yeah. someone in whatever it is, no one would do that if you when you know all the rules and you think you have to follow them. There's a, there's a oh. great wonderful, and I miss it. There's a great wonderful mm-hmm. thing about being that innocent. Yeah, there's and that, that freedom eager. you get. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you why I'm the best one for the job, mm-hmm. and you you start to develop this thing as you get older, like ah maybe I'm not like this. I call it the freaking Eeyore complex, right? Yeah. Yeah. maybe
3: not me, <laughs> right?
0: My, you know, my, uh, my my little sister wrote a book uh, called Limeade, and it's about uh, lime limelight. She wrote a book called Limelight about having Lyme disease and how. Well, because she had Lyme disease, and it was about how. Sucks. Yeah, she's she's doing great now, but uh, when she wrote the book, it was about how watching '90s television like like saved her life. Yeah. Because she watched reruns, and it was the only thing that was uh, the same while everything else in her life was changing, changing, right? And so then she had an idea, and she's you know uh, the only. Connection to the industry that she has, she had, you know, she had some of her own, but for the most part, it was like me. Being related like to the, you. Yeah. I'm, I'm like one of the few people in her life that's in the industry. Right. And she was like, I'm going to go and find a way on her own. She was like, I'm going to go find a way to get um, a, the foreword for the book written by stars from the 90s. And so oh, she went on her own. Oh my gosh. And like reached out to all sorts of like actors and people and stuff. And the big one she was trying to get, this is before she came back with the Mm -hmm. TV show, was Roseanne. She was trying to get Roseanne to write the foreword for the book. And she was you know adamant on doing this and so my mom found out that Roseanne was going to be on the like the Ellen DeGeneres I show it was Ellen yeah yeah so my mom <laughs> went to CBS Radford with her mom. goats
3: <laughs> no and she
0: stood outside of CBS Radford with her goats and a sign <laughs> saying Roseanne come pet my goats and talk to me about my daughter's book or something like this. And security was like, what is going on here? And like, and I remember just being like, just cringing and being like, Oh my dear God. But, uh, in a roundabout way, it, it somehow got the attention of Roseanne. And no, Roseanne, it's not very roundabout, honey. Yeah, it's just yeah. Your mom standing a, out there. Right. They're No, in a very, in a, in a very, you know, like uh, hilarious way. It did. It did get her attention, and then Roseanne did write the the wow. front quote from my sister's book, and that led to the like the entire cast of Roseanne writing uh, quotes for it, what? and all these other wonderful people writing. But it was like uh, my every once in a while, my my mom will will kind of influence because my mom will call me and be like well why can't i just call steven spielberg you know like (laughs) and i'm like please don't call steven spielberg
2: your your uncle back in the day was like why don't you just call the fiddler on the roof people (laughs) my grandfather my
0: grandfather used to say call the fiddler on the roof people tell them you want to be in the show and you (laughs) sing so yeah yeah yeah. and i was like well i mean you like you, you can't really do that but then every once in a while she'll my mom will influence some sort of thing where she'll go you should do this, and then I'll go. Maybe I should try try to just call the president of this company for for shits and giggles. See what see see what happens, and what would happen. And it, you know, it, it yeah. sometimes sometimes it surprises them and yeah. and blows their mind. And other times they they go, please please don't call. Him.
3: Yeah, please
1: don't. <laughs> like I called me.
0: Bernard. I called Bernard Telsey on the phone and asked if I could uh, People don't know Bernard Taylor. Oh he's a casting director in in New York and uh, I called him and asked if I could join the cast of Once the musical. That's genius. And he said uh, uh, please please don't please don't call (laughs)
1: for for stuff like this and i was like crazy and i was
0: like but i i was like i really wanted i really love the show and he was like yeah i know we we won a tony award like we don't we don't need and steven you know how many
2: times you're able to get that guy on the phone Once.
0: once (laughs) 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 you son of a bitch matt oh matt um okay we got to talk about angels in america Mm -hmm. angels in america uh pulitzer prize winning uh one of the greatest uh, Broadway plays ever, one of the greatest plays ever written. Uh, Tony Kushner, Kushner just is a fu- fucking
1: yeah, a Shakespeare. Like, what is it? The fact that we're living with the Shakespeare. Yeah, we have a Shakespeare in our midst. We do, and it's Tony Kushner.
0: He's incredible
1: unbelievable
0: i've only gotten i've only had any one an interaction with him one time and it was i got to do a the 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 staged reading of the dybbuk which he wrote at the playhouse yeah when i was like 15 years old wow but that is but that's before i hadn't i I knew what angels in america was and then i got to do angels i got to do like scenes from it when i was how did you get
1: that job how did you get to do the
0: i I, I, i was growing up in i grew up in san diego and
1: that's not an easy play
0: Oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I was just a small character in it, but it was for the Barbra Streisand. Um theater festival and they were testing new works and tony that was tony's new work at the time it's a very dark <laughs> very <laughs> <the heavy. laughs> Divock, right? very very heavy right. yeah yeah and i just played a rabbinical student i was right. like i played like all the rabbinical students in it but of course it was so but it was super cool and he's an incredible writer and then when i read angels in america the first time i read it i was like it broke my heart the yeah. first time i read it and then uh and then i'm of course I'm immediately when you open the book it says your name on the first on the first page you know it says yeah. like original cast uh and i've i just went back and rewatched footage from it cuz there is footage out there oh, of you I doing always it i
1: hate theater footage it's so tinny and horrible and yeah. like really that's what i was doing but you're I... so
0: but even in it was just a moment in the, the there was like one big moment that i i found and it was the moment where you're talking to uh to one of the characters and you say we don't um we don't believe in uh we don't believe in gay people in our church mm. and he and then he goes well and uh, we don't believe in Mormons and Archer, something like that. <laughs> right, like, right, right, It was like some- That was Steven
1: Spinella's character, yeah. I yeah. think so. Uh, can you yeah.
0: walk us through that process just a little bit of getting cast and what the process was of doing that?
1: Angels was, first of all, like when you talk about it, I go, oh, that was one of those few times in life where where your sort of mission in a way, which I never really understood what that meant, but the it was like the height of purpose, being in that play because it was all that was going on at the time. A, it was going on at the time. And I was living in the West village. So I would have people come up to me and say, are you marching hard, right? I'd say, yep. And they said, well, I just want you to know, I took my parents to see that play. And then I told them that I was dying or I took my parents oh. to see that play. And I told them I'm gay. And of course it's their parents that meant they're dying. Mm-hmm. And it was so raw and it was such a, it was like you've been in a cave for so long and somebody please turn on a flashlight and help us know that there's an exit. And I think that's what Tony did. It was suddenly the words were illuminative of hope. And that's what he did with Angels. It was, it was a dark political time and it was a dark uh, physical time. Uh, for the gay community, who was amazing because they were showing the rest of the world how to be community and how to uh, bring the price of medicine down. I mean, Eric Sawyer was a real activist for that, bring the price of medicine down, and so and Tony Kushner giving voice to that. So that's that was the environment that I walked into, un, not knowing what Angels in America was. Because it had had its tryout here with Gordon Davidson at the Mark Taper and a different cast, most of the same cast, but some different cast, before New York. And I had a really dear agent named Brian Reardon who said, I want you to go in an audition for Angels, it's a big deal. I'm like, it's Broadway, they're never going cast me, and I'll go in. And I hadn't seen it in LA, so I didn't know what it was. And I read the script and I thought it was stunningly, stunningly beautiful. And I was going through a breakup with a guy who was a born-again Christian, Mm -hmm. who hadn't told me that he was born-again Christian um, when we first got together, because I would have said, well, I'm not. But by the time I knew, I said, well, I'm not. And what... The machinations of relationship that we went through, you know, when we could have sex, when we couldn't, and you know, it's like it's like there's nothing sexier than having sex with a nun, right, or a preacher. <laughs> like you're not, like you know what I mean. Like you're not yeah. supposed to, like whatever, the forbidden fruit, right? Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I just really don't need Jesus in the bed, Um <laughs> and I and I don't, I can't say those things that you can say. It doesn't mean I'm not spiritual. It doesn't mean I don't believe in God. It just means I can't say that there's only one way. And so we had had this terrible breakup that had religious overtones and sexual overtones to it and when I went into audition for Tony and George Wolf, it was as if it was my breakup so I wasn't concerned with the drugs that the character was on I was concerned with her emotional pain and the what you know she was going through and how she felt so betrayed and that's pretty much what I brought to the audition room (laughs) (laughs) you know her deep emotional pain and um uh, I and I got the part, and it was stunning that I got the part. And then, you know, first the first one was written, and so we would rehearse it, and we would do it, and we would um, just put it all together. George Wolf was very musical, so I don't know if you've ever worked with him, Steve, but he's, um, you know, he would say things like, "Okay, Marsha, I want you to come in the door, and I want you to come in like ba 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 And I'd say, okay, George, I hear you, but I kind of want to come in the door like, and he would say, okay, let me see it. And then that might just be the way you walk at the end across the floor, the way you slam the door if you want to give him that thing. Like how do you punctuate physically and verbally what the music is that George is seeing? And so that was Really, really cool. He would direct like that and getting to know the guys David Marshall Grant, Steve Spinella, Joe Mantello. I mean, it was Jeffrey Wright, um, yeah. Ron Liebman, Ellen McLaughlin, Kathy. It was all just Chalfont, Kathy Chalfont. It was amazing. And I felt like I uh, got to sit on the bench with the first team. Jeez. And really, I felt. Like amazingly honored, then we went into rehearsal for Perestroika, which was part two. So we'd be because rehearsing it's seven
0: hours the the entire the entire thing yeah. the entire thing is seven hours. So that you did the first show, which was uh, Millennium Approaches, yeah, right, perfect. and then you how much time did you guys have off between between that and then Perestroika? Did you guys? Have-
1: I think we were rehearsing it while we were performing. Oh, so my God. we'd be rehearsing during the day and performing that at night, and then uh, and then we put them up together. Oh my it was, God! What? It was great. Yeah, so people could go do, and watch like a seven-hour. Yeah, hour you could whole go thing. and watch Millennium on yeah. a Wednesday matinee, and then Perestroika that night, and the same on Saturday. You could see them both, and they had this really amazingly complicated schedule. And oh wow, my it was God. it was great. People used to go. Was that exhausting? And I think. No, it's a thousand times more exhausting to be in a boring play. Uh, Even if it lasts 10 minutes, it's exhausting to be in a boring play and have a boring role. Because this is work that
2: you actually were really, you could dig your teeth into it. It feeds you.
1: It just feeds you. Wow. And it fed the community. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about energy exchange, theater and live music and all that. That's where it's happening. That's why, you know, for Mm -hmm. stand-up, it's where it's happening. There are blowing energy into your body from the audience, and you're blowing energy back at them, and there's no other place in live shows where that happens. You're literally, when you're talking, you're in their body, your ears and your vibration. So it was just, I felt like it was really infusing
0: for So us. you were not emotionally exhausted, were you emotionally exhausted from it, or not Not really?
1: I didn't think, I don't remember thinking, oh, I can't do another one of these. <laughs> I remember... You know, at some point you have to learn that it's okay if you don't have real tears. They really can't see them from the third row. <laughs> but mm-hmm. you have to know that what you have to make your body do has to seem that real. And it's still going to hurt you inside the same way. You have to feel hurt. You have to sure. feel those things. And you have to make the, like, want get them to exude the emotion rather than you. You don't want to do all the work for them. Yeah. And I think I used to, I, I, I probably would fault myself in My younger years is doing too much work for the audience and and not allowing them to do it. And now, um, you know, (laughs) the older you get, the stiller you get. Now I'm like, let them have the tears. (laughs) You just pull back a little bit. But it was really cool. It was like, I'll never forget that opening night on um, Millennium when we're walking down the street, I mean like this red velvet dress and my agent Brian had come up um, and he was sick at the time and he came up and he hugged me so tight, my bra popped. And we ended up (laughs) laughing and we went to, we were going down the street and there was a crowd of people around one of those Mm -hmm. New York Korean markets but they have all the flowers out front and the newspapers. And they were waiting for the New York Times to come off hot off the presses at midnight or whenever it Mm -hmm. came off. And so they were waiting there. So by the time we're walking down the street, there's a guy standing on a plastic crate, a fruit crate, and there's a crowd around him, and there's one light shining down on him. It was like a scene out of an (laughs) Edward Hopper, right? Isn't that Edward stuff? Like there's a light on the street. Yeah. So and he's with the pages open of the newspaper and the crowd is standing around and looking up they've just seen the play and we're walking by and no one notices us and he's reading this rave review to the crowd and they're just cheering there must be like 15 people and they're just like (laughs) yeah 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 and i guess that's the point the play meant something to a lot of people it Mm -hmm. meant something and That's when you, when you, when you snag one of those, Boy, you are lucky, you're just lucky.
2: Now you won the Tony for God of Carnage, right? So what is that like when you get that call saying, Hey, you've been nominated? Like, is that something you expected to happen? Were you like, this is the role that's going to get me something? Or was it just sort of like out of the blue? Like, how does that happen?
1: Um, well, you know, like anything else, you hear little sniffs and things around and you, you want it, um, so you you know the day is coming. Like, it was different for mm-hmm. the Oscars. I didn't know the day that mm-hmm. the Oscars were announced. I didn't know how they were announced in the morning. I'm not saying I wasn't told. I yeah. probably was. Told. I just it just didn't compute to me mm-hmm. that they did on TV. But this was this was you knew it was coming. I didn't know how it was done, but I figured I'd get a call from an agent or something. And I was at the YMCA mm-hmm. where I my kids were going to school, and I was sitting at this table. And you know you're all nervous, and the cast is nervous, and also like it could any of us could have gotten yeah. nominated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And then all of us got nominated. Yeah. Wow.
0: And, yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs>
1: we all got nominated. And that was like <sighs> like first I learned about me mm-hmm. and then i'm reading the i don't think i was on a cell phone i don't know that i even had a cell phone i was me i don't know how i was doing it maybe i had a cell phone yeah. and then i learned that you know then Je- jeff too mm-hmm. james too, and <laughs> too oh my god you know it was amazing yeah wow it so was then really
2: amazing. you win that award and now this is a, a weird question to have but you've moved since you won the award from new york to los angeles where do you what do you do with the the tony like when you move like do you just hold it with you? Like, is that something you flights? check in your really bag? Cool yeah. You don't mail it? What do you do with it? That is a very Like, I wouldn't question. let that out of my sight if I won something important.
1: I know. You know, I, um, it was in my house in Harlem for a long time. I lived up in Harlem and I had my trophies and the kids' trophies on a shelf looking out a window and it was up there and then I divorced and the ex packed us out and everything got put in boxes in a basement <laughs> and uh, in my country place in the Caskill. Mm-hmm. So, everything's up there. Somehow, I, Brought the Oscar out here. I don't know how. Maybe it's like, oh, I'll show you. you know, has, oh, I have an Oscar. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> out. <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 brought, I don't know what. Maybe <laughs> it, was in, like,
1: it, it was in an easier box to get to. I don't know. But I've been looking for that Tony for six years. Mm-hmm. I've been looking and looking. And I've got this guy who works for me backstage, uh, back um, back east. We call him the dude. And he works mm-hmm. on my property. And he reminds you of the dude from Big Lebowski. Sure, right? sure. Amazing, yeah. And his name is Scott. And we're like, Scott, do you is he any boxes mark trophies <laughs> he's like I don't know I'm looking down in the basement I'm not seeing anything and I'm like oh <laughs> I want that so I just went back home for maybe a, a month ago I went back home for something and I went upstate and I went down to the basement and I hauled out the boxes and I dug to the bottom of them until I found the Tony oh my nice. god and amazing I found it and I brought it I brought okay, Tony so then out. when you
2: brought it back was that in your check on bags? Did you bags? Did you pack it? What did you do when you brought it out?
1: Yeah, I car- you carry it You carry through. it through. Yeah, you okay. carry it you through. You got it. Yeah,
2: yeah. of course. It's like, have you seen my Tony? Have yeah, you seen my friend Tony? Pretty <laughs> much. I like to introduce my friend pretty Tony. Like, like,
1: I don't want to be pretentious, but Tony's. <laughs>
3: with me
1: right <laughs> now. <laughs> like, do I need like, a, separate,
2: if I won, a separate seat for Tony apparently. on the plane? Like, if I won a real award like that, I would get a chain? And I would Carry it. get it carried on the chain. I would just wear it on my neck everywhere. Absolutely. That's what I would I do. Know. I know. Like I won a, a garbage award. A you and I know. What,
1: what is the best award you've ever won?
2: I won the Shorty Award, which is like a thing they give for like tweeting. Which yes, is stupid. I remember that. I won that, for best yeah. comedian in social media in 2012, a long time ago. But like when I won that thing, I, I didn't let it on my site until I got back home. Like I was like, I am not, I'm carrying this everywhere. I'm not trusting it. It might break. I don't trust anyone else. You won well, like a award for award. tweeting? Yeah. Yep.
1: That's pretty awesome.
2: No, it's the dumbest award ever. But what, but
1: what did you do that was so awesome that you got you an award for tweeting? I
2: tweeted a lot of jokes, mostly about Justin Bieber, I think.
0: In oh, yeah. yeah. People loved it. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was a good time. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I I won a uh, local Emmy. How about that? For what? Well, sort of. Uh, I was in a documentary that won a local Emmy. Okay. but I didn't, so you didn't get, get the keep, trophy. I didn't so get you to keep it. the Emmy. I probably could pay to get... A replica, so you're, a replica. You're a
1: awardless. I'm, a, us I'm, an, here, I'm an awardless right? person. You're an awardless person. No,
0: I did we did win uh the show nah, I haven't won one personally. Uh, the show the kids' choice awards yep. in like yeah, Argentina and a bunch yeah. of other places that we won uh our show won awards, but I didn't personally win so an
1: award. Do you think they
0: matter? Do I think awards matter? I mean, i I think they matter In some ways, I think they matter. Well, because... Yeah, I mean, I think they matter. In in some ways, I think they matter. I I would say I think
2: they matter in that they can give a really nice boost to people's careers who deserve it and that there are things that would get overlooked otherwise, and I like the signal boost they get. I don't think... The trophy itself is the important part of it, but I think that right. process and what it yeah. gives to someone is what's really important
0: about it. Yeah, because sometimes at the Oscars, like uh, for example, like a movie will get nominated for an Oscar that and I've just never seen good. it. I've never, right. I didn't know the movie yeah. had had it even existed, and then I'll go, oh, I better go watch and see why well because like uh, like this year I missed Three Billboards I did mm-hmm. not see oh, Three Billboards Yeah, I had seen everything else right. but I missed that one and then it it got a it, then she won and I was like I'm gonna go watch this movie yeah. and I sat down in my living room and watched it and I was like oh my god yeah. she is incredible Amazing. in this movie yeah yeah. but Sam it's Rockwell like, too he's awesome oh he was great too and that was a great turn yeah my mom saw that character. movie you know, yeah. told me yeah.
2: uh, she's like oh I saw the Three Billboards movie she's like eh Opened up with the F word. I wasn't that interested.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> oh
3: my
0: god! That's family. There you <laughs> that's go. That's so great.
1: There's a lot of cursing in that movie.
0: Yeah. Uh, but- there, I do have one. I do have one more Angels in America question for you before we move on. Um, okay, so I was last night. I was watching uh, this. Like, I, I found. I went online and I looked up like Angels in America original Broadway cast footage. And what popped up was a gay and lesbian um, local access or like, cult, like university a TV show that would only air on, like, the university channels, Mm -hmm. okay, from UCLA, and it's – it's like a guy and a girl and they're like it's an interesting time to be gay in america right and i like watch them do this <laughs> whole show <laughs> and they go our first thing we're going to talk about is a show that's on broadway that's been making big uh, waves in the broadway world <laughs> and it's called angels in america by tony kushner right and they show footage of you and they show footage of everyone and i and then at the end they said and the and the show is being turned into a movie by robert altman and then they just moved on to something else, and I was like, "Robert Altman didn't no, make no. *Angels yeah. in America*. Was there talk yeah. of that happening?
1: I think he was going to do *Angels in America*, and I think Mike Nichols did it then.
0: Yeah, Mike Nichols did it. Yeah, Mike for Nichols. TV- did it, yeah. Is that the one that was HBO? For HBO, HBO, for HBO yeah, yeah. No, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, was there any talk of like? Do you feel like that's something that you would have wanted to do as as a movie, or is that oh. something that you were? Not yeah.
1: Are you kidding? Like, yeah. All of us wanted to do it. <laughs> With Mike Nichols, are you kidding me? Yeah. You just go, fuck, they are going to be a Star Fox. There are going to be Star Fox. They're going to get big, big stars. Mm-hmm. We're not big enough to play yeah. this thing. And I, I guess there's some nervousness about an actor being overly theatrical but it truthfully in this day and age come on actors know yeah. to speak into a mic and to be truthful that's it all you gotta sure. do Albert Finney said that to me in Miller's Crossing he was like darling truth is truth he's like what should I do it's <laughs> so my first movie he's like what should I do Albert what should I do he's like darling truth is truth just be truthful and wow. obviously you don't need to be huge if you're if the camera's right here so that's your proscenium <laughs> but um, yeah
0: of course we wanted to do it oh Mm-hmm. What? What's? What is that? Like, as far as like stuff that you've wanted to do that you haven't done,
1: everything Meryl Streep does. <laughs> I, I worship her, that horrible woman. <laughs> yeah, no, she's fucking phenomenal, and I hate her for it. Like, even just watching her in the post, I'm like, uh huh, yeah, there you go. Yep, there she is working. Look how she works with props. Look how she, look how she. Look how she embodies everything. Look how she doesn't clearly go to... it. She just she just lives the role and she uses space. She's an yeah. actress, she's, actor. She's the greatest she's, of all time, right? She's I the think. greatest actress, yeah. yeah there's uh, no question.
0: She's the Babe Ruth of acting, I would she say. She really is. Yeah. That's insane. Isn't, yes. And
1: we live with that. Yeah, I That's know. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, we do. We do. We've got some interesting, incredible people living amongst us, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Including yourself, yeah, can, my can dear. we talk about... So you... Your
2: your Broadway stuff that's sort of like did you start doing films in Los Angeles while you were still doing that like during your breaks or did you sort of say okay Broadway's done I'm gonna go to L A and be a movie star
1: No I did um it was a again it's a really traditional trajectory. I was living in New York. I um, was. I went back. I was doing waiting tables work. I waiting tables work. Oh my God, that's not even English. I was doing waiting table. Like, <laughs> English is my first language. Yes, I was doing <laughs> waiting tables, <laughs> tables work. <laughs> you don't even know it. Um, I was waiting tables and all of that. And uh, I kept feeling like I wasn't getting into auditions, even though I had agents at the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought there is something about me that's just not competitive. I need to learn something these other actors know. So I went back to grad school with Elda Chandler who ran NYU t- um, Tisch School of the Arts, gave me a full scholarship to go back there. Mm-hmm. So I Amazing. went there, three-year program, and while I was there, on my last year, I got to audition for Milos Forman for mm-hmm. Valmont. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it, got, it was between me and Annette Benning. Wow. And so people were like, who is this upstart? Mm-hmm. Annette, of course, got it. Um, and I totally see what he was... Yeah. It was but it gets, was, was a, it. it gets you in the
2: room in the conversation. It
1: gets you in the room, right? That's what I tell my kids or anybody who wants to go to, getting get go into acting. Getting the audition, being in the room, doing well in the room, impressing the casting director. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Um, so... And that got it, but that maybe made other people go, who is this upstart? And at some point, the Coen brothers um, were casting Miller's Crossing, Mm -hmm. and I had just graduated, and I was, of all things, going down to Virginia Stage Company to do the play Valmont, Mm -hmm. and I was doing the play as Blanc Torval, and I was traveling back and forth to New York to audition for the Coen brothers, Mm -hmm. whom I worshipped then, and I worship now. Fantastic. I love them, and um, I ended up, I ended up getting it. That was my first role, was to be in one of their movies. Unbelievable. And so, yeah, so for a long time I was in New York doing theater and film, and it was mm-hmm. fantastic. I did used people out of New York. I didn't move out to L.A. until to stay out here until after my divorce. So it's more reason. I'm a okay. reason out here.
0: Well, yeah, after doing after doing that the, those films and you doing used people and doing um, and doing Miller's Crossing. Uh, you know, I, there are, there's a bunch, there's a bunch of stuff, but here's, here's an interesting one. Uh, First Wives Club. First Wives Club, uh, you got Goldie Hawn, you got uh, Bette Midler, Diane Keaton, what, what, who did you work with the most? On I that?
1: worked with Diane the most, um, while well, my scenes were with Diane, and I remember Diane walked around with um, earphones in her ear all the time, which made it a little hard to talk to her, but she was notoriously shy. And I think it was the way she was getting into the character. She was listening to music, uh, but I wouldn't say I I knew her really well. Now when I see her, it's you know like it's like party people. Hi, oh, right, hey, Yeah. Hi, Diane. Oh my God. How are you been? Good, good, good. And then you were like, I hate parties. I really do. <laughs> right. I hate them for that very thing. <laughs> and I hate bars. I hate noisy bars because you're like, Hi, haven't seen you in a long time. They're like, Yeah, my mother died. I'm like, What? My mother died. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hold on, one second. Hi, yeah, I'll be right with you. So, what did your mother die? Oh, that's horrible! <laughs> so was it a good funeral? Like, I said i will be right there. <laughs> it's absolutely. Oh my god! I hate them. Oh. I can't. I didn't no. give me a dinner party any day.
0: Can we give Marsha a podcast, award, yes. for <laughs> <that>? a podcast <laughs> award for that? Are yes. you kidding me? That was amazing. That it it's horrible. Right? That was that's exact. That's every single Hollywood party I've ever been to. It's just yeah. that's what it is. It's a
1: it's a bad and, house. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. loud. Yeah. And, and I just, I'm not good at it. And I want to go out and mix and mingle. I want to go meet people and, like, stay in. But, like, I like activity. So, I like it if there's a party with a purpose. Mm-hmm. So, Cameron um, Cameron Manheim is one of my best friends in the world. One I of the love most, her. I love her. Mm-hmm. Cameron has game parties where you come over and you play games. What? Poker <laughs> or running charades or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I love them. Or I like going to a party where people are dancing. Do you know that in the clubs, because I don't go to clubs anymore, I don't go to clubs. Mm-hmm. But in the clubs, they say there's no dance floor anymore. Really? Yeah.
2: There's no clearly don't know,
1: you're not going go to, go to clubs either, and was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what? It's
0: just a, it's just a bunch of people standing around staring at each other,
1: Yeah. yeah. like, yeah, in, it's like very in, hey, hey, at their tables, right?
0: Yeah, it's different. Like in like places like Costa Rica, where there everyone's just you know yeah. standing on the tables. Okay. And, everything's different yeah, everything's, in Costa Rica. Yeah, right. but here, but here, are the toilets different in Costa Rica? They are. They are. But yeah, parties. And
1: now it's like put an expensive bottle of something on the. table. Table.
0: Everybody, yeah. Everyone's got like bottle service. And you know, yeah, yeah like, here's ugh. a bottle
2: of alcohol you could buy for $40 at the store. We're going to charge you 400 for it. $400? Yeah. Oh, easily.
1: I can't. Yeah. But where's the dance floor? It's not there. So yeah. you kind of dance around the table drinking this. You know, that sounds on the
0: day. so not fun.
1: I can't. Yeah, no. I like to move.
0: Not a, not an enjoyable time. Yeah. Not an enjoyable time. But you know what is an enjoyable time? Well, must have been an enjoyable time. Uh, Flubber uh, with oh, uh, my that Robin. Robin, Robin, Robin Williams.
1: That was the loudest that I've ever been on in my life. <laughs> by the how way, how so? How so? Well, Robin's just funny. He just got like he's on and he wants you to laugh and he comes in and he's making a joke and everyone's laughing and we're flying around on the they you know strap you into something and we're flying around and cuz you'd flubber you would fly mm-hmm. Um he just made he just made you laugh. He's actually very shy, let's say like him, Jim Carrey, I mean, all these really great physical comedians that there's just a shyness and they're more comfortable being on and making you laugh and getting that energy than just kind mm-hmm. of being in the room in conversation. So Robin was amazing. Uh, it was my first, one of my first comedy films, and it was a Disney film. And I remember I'd gotten pregnant um, on the film. Uh, I had just gotten married, and I got pregnant like right away. And I remember there's like was like one point during the film when <laughs> my, I had a a, a bra a shirt and a coat and you could see my nipples through it right? because because you're they're like steel <laughs> because I was like four months and I had like these steel nipples and I would remember that
2: some of our listeners if you watch Flubber frame by frame okay, you watches nipples well they would be like
1: you need to put band-aids on those and I think on well, what oh, on those okay because like you know Disney characters mm-hmm. don't have nipples but um of course oh god it was fun that was fun yeah.
0: you're such a funny actress Uh, When I met you, you were doing Trophy Wife. I love you. Yeah. We were so funny on that show, I love and it that. was such a great comedy. And uh, like, w- uh, how do you feel about comedy? I mean, as far as you know, like I, I feel like all great drama has some comedy in it. I mean, Angels has lots of funny moments, yeah. and I'm, I'm, God has God has funny. lots of funny stuff in there. Yeah. But how do you feel about just doing something that's like straight up comedy? I freaking
1: and funny? love it. I don't get to do it so much because. I apparently have a resting bitch face. So. <laughs> Ask my kids; they'll tell you. And it's not resting either; it's active. Well, right? <laughs> um, I love it with a passion. It's the best, you know, making yeah. people laugh with whatever's the best. And I don't get to do it as much as I want to. Ugh, yes. I love Trophy Wives. She, there's nothing more fun than playing grand. You know, and Diane yeah. was grand and she knew it all. And so then you have all that potential for hubris that is, you know, oh, when, the, when the grand person falls on their face and then covers it, mm-hmm. that's funny. Very yeah, funny. I, yeah, I, yeah, I love that. Sure. I, never, I never can figure out why things don't get picked up and why things do. To me, that show had all the makings for success yeah trophy wife did but
2: so much of it is you know what's the lead in what's after it what night of the week is yeah. it on all that kind of stuff that you have no control over
1: yeah and what what do they have in their back what's in the room? pipeline yeah waiting, who right? owns the
2: show versus right. who should this, who's airing the show like right. all that kind of stuff because I, I for some reason i'm fascinated by the shows that get picked up and don't get picked up and there's like a website that sort of has all their predictions on what's getting yeah. picked up and all that stuff and it they use this phrase called the cancel bear where they're like, you don't have to be the fastest one. You just have to outrun the bear. You used to be not the last one right. on the list because that's the one that gets eaten up by the bear right. and then something else is going to replace right. it. So it's so many things that they're like, but in, when they come up with the rankings, they're like, it's not just about the numbers or whether a show's good or not has nothing to do with it. It's just about-
1: And how much does it
0: cost you know, to make?
2: How much does it cost to make? What night of the week is it on? All kinds of stuff.
0: Yeah, and, and also um, uh, that was ABC, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And ABC at the time was launching- it was at the, the same time that they were launching Goldbergs, I think. Yeah, the Goldbergs, Goldbergs was launched. launched. Yeah. And yeah. then and then kind of pretty soon after that, they changed kind of their format of the shows that they were doing, and it went from uh, a bunch of different types of comedies to them mostly having yeah. like the exact um, – It was all Shonda rhymes the, every night. No no no, 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 <laughs> no. Yeah, Shonda <laughs> rhymes when it comes to drama, yeah, but right. when it comes to comedy, it was blackish, fresh mm-hmm. off the boat – uh, Goldbergs and uh, and then there's an another one now too mm-hmm. that are that it, it they they kind of found something that they were like this This is going to work for us we're yeah. gonna do is what we're going to do, gonna this. Gonna do. And right. we're going to do this again and again and again which is fine that's how all that family works for them. Yeah. all yeah. family different types of families was there that's a, what a we're leadership
2: change at ABC while, while that was happening too because that I happens a lot where like Paul like,
1: was there at the time okay. and um, he, I think he's not there now because yeah, I think it's what
2: happens a lot is like somebody changes and they're like alright get rid of all these shows that are mine stuff, I'm going to bring in right, all my stuff regardless of
1: what it is I love Blackish though I think that's such a good show I love ABC
0: I'm Huge nerd when it comes to that kind of stuff, and I mean, you're and when it comes to comedy, I mean, for God's sakes, you did Spy Hard, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you know, you've you've been you've done a but lot. You don't of,
1: think of me for comedy, right? Well,
0: when I think of you, the the role that I think of you for when when I think of you is always um, newsroom because <laughs> that was that's one of of a very few shows that me and my girlfriend. Uh, would would sit down on the couch together, and every week at that time, we would watch that show. Mm-hmm. It was that show, Boardwalk Empire, and mm. and the and the the TV show, The Client List, <laughs> which was about a, a, an Asia, like a a massage parlor uh, yeah. with uh, Jennifer. Love Hewitt. Love Hewitt, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why yeah, that no, show no, yeah. got into yeah. the rotation, but it did. It did. But yeah. we would watch- it. you now. would like,
1: have massages at the <laughs> Yes, it would go, yeah. now, <laughs> now can we have a massage? <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: but, but it was, uh, Newsroom be- like became like the show from episode one to the last episode that we would always sit down and watch. And I wouldn't watch it without her, she wouldn't watch it without me. And your role on that show was so incredible and you were so badass. Like yeah. you're just such a badass on yeah. camera. Like you just kill- yeah. And it, it was like, it was you like when I saw you at the at the thing when we met at the premiere, I was like, I was like, oh my God, I'm so nervous to talk to you, but I had to talk to you because I was like, She's I, loved so cool. mm-hmm.
1: I loved her. I loved her. She was badass. Jeff Daniels said to me that morning because, you know, we'd worked now together in a God of Carnage, He goes, You want to know the Aaron secret? I said, Yes, please. Mm-hmm. He said, Show up prepared, know your lines even for the rehearsals, like, okay. Because every other time you're on set, you have your sides. So people don't know that they're mm-hmm. actors' yeah. lines and you have them on set, your sides, and so you read off of them and you kind of go back to the trailer and memorize and really being prepared on a television show is not at all like what it is you know, in theater, sometimes. I mean, yeah. sometimes I think when when you're good, you are prepared and you think about it and you work on it the night before and all that stuff.
2: But also on TV, like the lines change every day. They change
1: every day. Yeah. It's fish paper on some level. And, yeah. you know, how many ways can you say, what are the forensics on that particular, <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. oh, right? right, but you have to say it because that's the show you're doing. Mm-hmm. So in this case, Aaron, uh, Jeff said, know the lines. And I had a monologue. My opening scene was a monologue. So that morning we came into rehearsal and there was Aaron and we rehearsed a scene and I knew all my lines and I just looked across the table at the end of the scene at Jeff and he kind of did one of those, what do you call that? Like, yes, like victory little tugs Mm -hmm. and a really quietly, yep fist pump. And then, um, later Aaron said, that's great. That's great. So no, no. So that was good. that was good. And then Aaron kind of wrote for that character a little bit. He, he, he'd he already written for her. He loved yeah. it. But I did notice, and this is so hysterical about Aaron, because he's such kind of like a, he's smart, sexy, prolific. He's all these things. Um, but Aaron gets bored easily. <laughs> and so he writes these great characters and then he'll let him go. And I noticed what he gave me was, he kept giving me like this sexier clothing and like a lower cleavage. And at <laughs> some point I, liquid, Sex. Do you remember that? My character had the line. Oh yeah. I am liquid sex. And he gave, he gave me that. That's a gift. But I thought as my cleavage got lower, I became <laughs> less of a badass. <laughs> i kind of like, Aaron, let me have low cleavage and be a badass. Let me do it all. Um, but he's. I yeah. think he's just inc- an incredible writer. and He gets a lot of shit from a lot of people if he doesn't espouse the particular political theory and the mm-hmm. way that all the different newspapers think. He just gets a lot of shit. And I personally think he's smart. And you know what? I think he cares. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. If he didn't care if you're just doing it to gloss over he's things. He's not doing it just to cash in. He's not. Yeah, yeah no. he cares. No. Yeah. Yeah. Now,
2: the role of yours that I jump to is always Pollock, because I love that film. Oh, yeah. And, well, I think there's two great movies about Jackson Pollock, and you're the star of one of them. And the other one is a documentary called Who the Fuck is Jackson Pollock that mm-hmm. everyone should watch. If oh, you I, seen love it. <laughs> I love that. I love that, But uh, that movie, was that sort of... Uh, Like was that a career changer in a way? I mean, you get the Oscar for that movie, of course, and I'm sure that obviously helps your career in in many ways. But when you go into a film like that, do you know like this is something I can really sink my teeth into? This is going to be a great role? Yeah,
1: you know you can sink your teeth into it, but you don't know if it's going to be successful or Mm -hmm. not. You just know it's an indie film that they're making on a dime. And Ed Harris and I had worked together in something called uh, Simpatico, a Sam Shepard play. Mm -hmm. And it was like something, it was like Ed, me, Fred Ward, um, James McLaughlin was that his name? Um, and like these men, men mm-hmm. and Sam. Yeah, I just remember crossing the street with all of them in New York, crossing the Public Theater. It was like slow mo. Yeah, they were like kachunga gabunga.
2: It's like that scene in Reservoir Dogs where they're walking, just crossing the seat yeah. with
1: their manly stuff strutting out in front of them, and like there was me, like my hair blowing in the breeze, <laughs> you know, oh, my God. feeling like the girl. Yeah. Um, but uh, Ed and I worked together, and Ed is a taciturn son of a bitch. And I mm-hmm. love this guy. He's as funny as hell. You wouldn't know. He's funny. He's taciturn. He's quiet. He's shy. And so I was like Ed's little sister. That's mm-hmm. pretty much how I always see myself as little sister in Simpatico. So when he opened it up to me, I think it was me, and I was thinking Judy Davis, and I thought, oh, Judy's going to get it because she's pretty like that. She's Judy's a um, much more sort of fierce strict severe person mm-hmm. I'm like a little marshmallow at times I wear my emotions on my sleeves you know if I'm happy you know it and if I'm sad you know it Right. <laughs> and if I'm mad you know it yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, so but he opened up the audition process and I met him again. Hey, Marge, I, you know, But then I had to go out to his house to audition. And so now I'd done like my homework really. And I was really looking at the accent, the Queens accent or Brooklyn accent. Mm-hmm. And I'm um, trying to Lee Krasna. And so I went out there, you know, sort of in, in out in my costume and like trying to convince him. I was talking to him. He opens the door. I'm like, hi, and how are you? He knows who I am, of course. <laughs> and so, come on in, come on in. Hey, me. Marge is here. I'm like, hi, how are you? I'm walking around. And we're doing our scenes. He goes, what? Are
2: you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm like, I, Ed, I'm in character. I'm doing the accent. And he goes. Well, you need to stop whatever you're doing right now because people have to listen to this shit yes. for two hours, <laughs> they and they can't listen to that. You know, oh, Jackson, Jackson! It no. So I had to find this way to, oh to bring God. it, like into something yeah. that you could listen to. Bring to bring that energy
2: without bringing that voice. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. To, wow. to bring it, and
2: uh, well, you did.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. And that was all. Ed, Ed was a great director. He mm-hmm. was really, he was really a great director because he really pushed you. Was push that his you, first film you. directing? it? Yes, and he's yeah. acting in it and directing it. And That's on so a hard budget to do. And he yeah. was amazing. Like I remember this For one real. scene: the "You need, you mm-hmm. need, you need" scene. Um, we'd filmed it, and the light, we, we were filming all Ed side on that day and there mm-hmm. were planes and shit and chat and shit and chat and things going on. And then, uh, we were losing the light and we kept filming as side, but we didn't get to me. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely one of those scenes that you need to, you want to turn around yeah. the same day. And I was like, Marsh, sorry, we can't, we don't have time to turn around. I'm like, no problem, Ed. Um, whenever, you know, I'll be mm-hmm. there because Ellen Burstead had taught me that. She'd said, you have to be there 100% for me even when you're off camera. Yeah. So I'd been there 100% for mm-hmm. Ed but I had said to Ellen, well, what if when it turns around I don't have it in me anymore and she goes, then I'm there for you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I'd learned my lesson with Ellen mm-hmm. and so for Ed, I was like, he's going to do it. So, That next day we had to go to some other location. Mm -hmm. We were tied into location. So we didn't come back to the you need, you need, you need scene until two days later. So we're shooting, 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 and Ed just keeps saying, Just say it. Just say the line. And I said, I am saying it, Ed. I am saying it, you know, (laughs) I am not gonna bring another baby into that. You need, you need, you need. And then he would stop and go, Just say it and he's yelling at me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Just say it and then at some point he's behind the camera or sitting by the camera. And I say, and you need or whatever, and he picks up his chair and he starts slamming it on the ground. <laughs> just say it, just say it, just say the fucking line. And he breaks the chair, and wow. I'm shaking now. Mm-hmm. And I say, I am not going to bring another baby into that. And I'm like, of course, that's mm-hmm. of course he did it for me. Yeah. as a gift. They didn't use that take, but they used the one after that. That mm-hmm. still had that same nervous energy. And it, the energy. Same nervous Ooh. energy, and then the same. Um, you know, you need, you need, you need choking and whatever. Mm -hmm. But it it was Ed helping me do that. And I know the prop girls were like, do you want us to call the union on him? And I was like, (laughs) no, he was, I get how it's scary, but I trust him so implicitly that uh, he did it for me. He did it to shake me up. Mm -hmm. And if you're open to it, then there's surprises always that you can use, which are just fantastic. And
2: that's why your friend Tony has a friend named Oscar. Uh
1: yeah that's Uh why there you go yeah yeah Yeah. you have to be open to it though sometimes people like i would work i've worked with a lot of people that this happens they are saying their line and the director calls cut and they start to cry and you think you gotta you don't hold on to the emotion you gotta bring it in there and let it start to play let it start to bubble and they're trying to control it So they go through a scene and they're angry and the director says, cut and here come the tears. And you just want there to be a moment in the middle of it that, that, they said cut but not really and they get there and then you keep going, right? Mm-hmm. So sometimes you do need exterior things. Sometimes I remember once um, someone said, do you want me to shake you? Because the scene had to start with with me, but not Pollock, but something else had to start with me being discombobulated. And they're like, do you want me to shake you? And I was like, yeah, go ahead, let's try that. And sure enough, a shake and then and action and it was really helpful. Wow. Albert Fin again, Albert Finney, he taught me that because I was watching him when I was doing Miller's Crossing and he was at the, oh, that's me making noise, yes. right? Making me checking me. the time. was oh, right, fine. Yeah. Um, we could do like 10 minutes. And sure. Probably mm-hmm. have to, so uh, Finney and I are doing Miller's Crossing and it's my first film ever. And I had, um, Trey Wilson, God rest his soul, had died of a brain aneurysm and he was supposed to play Finney's role. So I called my dad, military officer, and I was like, Dad, I'm doing this. You know, I'm still doing Mills Crossing*, but Trey died. Now this man named Albert Finney is going to be playing the role. My dad's like, "God damn, Albert Finney! That's a goddamn fine actor, Marcia Gay. God damn, Albert Finney! Oh,
3: Albert
1: Finney! That goddamn oyster scene in Tom Jones! Oh, Albert Finney, uh, fine actor. On, oh, nah, 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 on, oh, nah, Albert. Jesus. Right? So Ooh. I go down to New Orleans to shoot it. And Albert and I meet and shake hands and he's the biggest flirt you've ever met in your Mm. life. And hello, darling. I'm like, Hello, Albert (laughs) And then we get in the elevator and we're going up to our respective floors and I said, Excuse me, Mr. Finney And he goes, Yes, darling (laughs) And I said, Well, you know that movie Tom Jones? He goes, Yes, darling And I said, Well, was that about Tom Jones the singer? And he goes, darling, have you never read a book in your life? Because, of course, it's that great classic book. I'm like, no freaking idea. And he starts doing pelvic thrust at me in the elevator, singing, it's not unusual. Like, just flirting with me up one side. We became super great friends the whole time. So then I'd go occasionally to set and I'd watch. Because I think, MGH, this is a big movie and you need to go learn. And so I'd go to set and I'd watch them and I'd watched Albert Finney. He was doing this scene where he has to, um, he's, he's standing at the top of these stairs and he's punching Gabriel Byrne down the stairs and he's kind of like hitting himself in his chest and punching, punching out in the air and getting to the point where he's got his breath coming like that. Cause when they say action, he needs to be picking up, coming down the stairs. I was watching him and thinking, ah. How embarrassing. What is he doing up there? And he's like making a fool of himself up there. Because <laughs> like, I've never, <laughs> never done it. I didn't know about the moment before. I mean, I did, but not really. And so I'm watching him thinking, that's so embarrassing. At least he could be in a private room. And then, of course, they go action. <clears throat> and he's just bang, right, searingly, perfect, in the moment, coming down the stairs with his breath huffing and it was all that he had just created a little moment before. I talked to him about it and he says, darling, darling, you know, you must be private in public. That's the whole thing. You must be private in public. And I took that to heart, but I also took myself so seriously that the other great person on that film, aside from Gabriel Byrne, who just did gorgeous work, was Johnny Polito, who's passed last year, and Johnny Polito would just poke fun at himself. So he would go and he would do a scene, you know, Casper, Casper, we gotta talk (laughs) ethics. And Mm -hmm. he would do Casper, and then I would watch him When he was done with you, go okay. That sucked. Can we? Can I go again, please? That sucked. That sucked. And I'd never (laughs) imagined that you could just be that blatant about laughing Mm -hmm. at your work or like going. Was it a bit much? You know, like really doing something, even if it was emotionally full. You can go. Was it a bit much? A little over the top. Okay. Good. Like to be able to look at yourself and be a candid Mm. critic of yourself. It was such a wonderful a gift to watch Polito do that.
0: Amazing. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Amazing. Oh. I love it. Um I know we have to wrap up very shortly. I want to talk about your book, mm-hmm. uh, The Seasons of My Mother, which you are uh, you it's a, a memoir of love, family and flowers. Yeah. Tell it tell me about the book.
1: Well it's a it's a really a story about the adventures of me and my mom growing up. As I grew up my parents and my mother our adventures in life. We moved to Japan, mom in Germany. It's memories. Mother, my mom now eventually talks about her Alzheimer's. She has Alzheimer's. So when I first started writing it, I thought, I do not want her legacy to be Alzheimer's. So I'm going to remember with her and for her mom was a japanese flower arranger so um she learned when we lived in japan the art of japanese flower arranging which like any great art it's using an asymmetrical triangle Mm -hmm. and you use two branches that are like branches so it's called lines one is taller than the other and then the third piece in the triangle is a beautiful flower so you could easily imagine take a beautiful, and and you measure them in proportion to the vase. And in the bottom of the vase is something called a Kenzan, which you you stick Mm -hmm. it in, you arrange it. So you can imagine um, like a beautiful arm of pine, and then another slightly smaller arm of pine in a flower arrangement, and then a big beautiful peony, red peony in the middle, Mm -hmm. right? That would be a classic, this little triangle. Anyway, so mom did these flower arrangements growing up, and the lines are called Shinsoi and Hikai, which means heaven, earth, and man. And so I sort of weave the story of mom and her love of flowers and her love of arranging and the gifts that she brought to the home with those, with our memories and our, our adventures. So I talk about May Day. It's the first chapter of my mother's first Love of flowers and May Day, and what we would do as kids for May Day. And then we go to Japan, and I talk about that. And I um, talk at some point about the Oscars. I talk about how my mother helped me get my start. They're all in there. And then I, and I ultimately, because you know from the beginning that she has Alzheimer's, it's like a sort of discordant chord underneath it. And you see this beautiful mind, which is my mom and her creativity, mm-hmm. and you know that it's going to disappear. And that's what happens, you know, that she's, she's not disappeared, but her um, abilities and her Mm -hmm. ability to remember, her ability to do a cabana, those things slowly disintegrate. Uh, There's, I say, there is nothing good about Alzheimer's. It's not one of those diseases that you can go, you know, on the bright side, um, you know, as other things you kind of can say Mm -hmm. that, especially diseases that are curable, there's nothing good about it. And I cannot wait to find the cure. But in the meantime, we're learning everything we can. And I just like have to say from everything I'm learning, apparently the demon is sugar and yeah. a lack of exercise, like those two things that are just so, how many times does someone go, a diet and exercise? And you're just going to go, shut up. <laughs> it's got to be more than that. But yeah. the, like a lot of the things that doctors talk about is that I don't really talk about the resources and Alzheimer's and what you can do, and what you can't do. Um, A friend of mine named Kimberly Williams Paisley wrote a book uh, called where the light gets in. And she talks about her mother's disintegration into dementia and she has amazing resources in the back of it. Mine is really more sort of like lyrical. It's just sort of storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think at the end of the day, I would say it's a book about loss and it's a book about repurposing loss and pain. Like you can sit around and be sad about these things that happen. And there's plenty of sadness where Alzheimer's is concerned or the other losses. You know, my brother lost his children in a fire. My um, mom has Alzheimer's. I ended up divorced. These are all things where you think I'm, I'm not a statistic. These things happen to other people, other people and not me. And then in my life, these things have happened to me. My life didn't turn out the way I pictured it was going to turn out. And what are you going to do? And I feel like you just have to use strength and compassion and sort of repurpose your pain into something positive. And that's what the book became for me, this um, really positive experience. And it's been received super well. It comes out May 1. Um, it's a genius, I say, it's a genius Mother's Day gift for those of you who want to buy one. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I will definitely get this for my mom. Oh, awesome. Sure, of yeah.
0: That's a, that's incredible. I'm so I uh, you know, I I uh, you know, we we get to interview a lot of people on our show and talk to them about their lives and things like this, but this has been just Fantastic. extraordinary. Oh, thank you. And there's it's so been, much more that I want to talk to you about. I know. But uh, another time. Another time. Yeah.
1: Well, you know what's cool to tell you is that um, when I listen to your podcast, I learn about people that I don't necessarily know much about. I know of them, but then you learn mm-hmm. About them, what, which and one did? What well, did I was you listen to? Listening to um, the one about Landis, right? Oh, Max, Max Landis. Landis. Oh yeah. yeah, for sure. So I thought you would say that was one of your all-time best podcast ever. Love Max Landis because yeah. he's like you, right? Mm-hmm. He has all. You guys have all the same kind of references, so. Mm-hmm. You, you're you really smart sort of f- film people. When I first was listening to it, I thought, I mean, I know of Max Landis and I know his work, but I was like, I don't know that I like this young man. I'm just not quite sure. You know, he's, he's, just, he's, he's just, a, just a bit arrogant, really, a Max bit. Oh, Landis. It's just a bit. <laughs> and then I kind of, all of those things about him, I literally fell in love with. That I was like, I want to work with this guy. He's, a, he's such a so fascinating. outside the box. He's so clear. He's that one who says... Oh, there were rules? He's that one yeah. that he's, climbs on Marilyn Henry's plane Like, why yes. not? Why not? Yeah,
0: you know, he told he told a story on that show that, that blew my mind was that he got on a plane mm-hmm. and sat down on a plane and was uh, on like, an eight hour movie. Flight, and he was like, I'm gonna start writing I'm gonna write the first scene of this movie. Yeah. And uh by the time he had landed he had sold the film for two million dollars. Yeah. Yeah. The movie was <laughs> movie? already sold. It's yeah. a it's a Netflix it's a Netflix it's, movie. Uh, it's like
2: the one with Bradley Cooper that he's got. Yeah, with not know yeah, it's but he
0: sold it on the plane. Like yeah. he sent it, and it was bought before he landed. Like he wrote an
1: entire
0: yeah, movie <laughs> on wrong. a fucking plane. That's
1: sort yeah. of wrong. Oh, yeah. It's not fair. It's
0: yeah. not where right. you're like, I can't. I just can't believe how yeah. talented some people like. So, yeah, we've had a There's, uh, there's been some. But really he has it. He's ones. like
1: uber opinionated, right? Yes, like, yeah. which yeah. I love. Which, which I love. I love
2: people that have strong opinions about things. Even if I disagree with their opinions, I like that they care.
1: Yeah, me too. Yeah. He's And there's nothing soft about him. Mm-hmm. And then I looked at his face and I thought, the same. There's nothing soft. He's angular and spiky and he's like cactus. And I just really... So mm-hmm. like that... I wouldn't have known all those things. I thought well, we will I, tell
0: him that you want I, to work with him. Yeah, I oh. thought he's, he's got was stuff really, on the air all the time. So
1: I thought he's yeah. really, really phenomenal.
0: My my one of my favorite episodes that we've ever recorded is the Joey Fatone episode <laughs> from In Sync uh-huh. because uh, because he, we made Robbie say terrible well, things. no. Too, aside but. from that, <laughs> he, he told <laughs> uh, he told a uh, the the in the most in depth version of the story of his manager. That, oh, yeah, that that yeah. took all their money and screwed them over horribly. Yeah, but yeah. he did. it He told that story in the most specific way. I've I've never heard someone. I've heard the story from other people. Right, but hearing from him that his uh, manager, the guy who who died in prison, uh, that that guy had every contract that that Insink got. He that his his uh, man. This manager made himself the sixth member of the band in yeah. every single contract. So if they were to get all, let's say they were all to get bicycles as like- He'd as, get one too. He'd get one too. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then he got tired of the lawyer taking a percentage so he fired the attorney without them knowing yeah. and took the attorney's percentage and negotiated all of their deals yeah. without the attorney. to do. Completely. Which completely. is why he went to prison the and then he, he died. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. did he die? From, I think he just died. in. I think he died of a heart attack in prison. Yeah. But- yeah, it was, it was brutal though. Like, wow! Yeah, there's been a couple. I mean, in Brian Henson, we had we we interviewed him and Listen, Brian, I, loved,
2: I loved going to uh, Ed Asner's house. Oh, that oh was my so god! Threatened us with a knife. That
0: was the first thing he, he did. He threatened us <laughs> with, with a knife. He goes, "You better have good questions." Yeah, and he pulled out <laughs> a, knife a knife on like, us. Uh, that was. And then
2: he's got so many words. He's got like Emmys as like a doorstop at a yes. yeah, summer, yeah, 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 got yeah, some, yeah, They're like all over the place there, and it's like it's just like yeah, I got these things, and it's like nothing to him and we're like that's amazing so. and yeah. uh,
1: did you, were you talking about his book The Grouchy Historian or something he was going on tour he was doing tour. A,
2: a tour he was doing a one man show okay it was a, like about a man and his prostate was the oh. concept of it. <laughs> yeah. And I was thinking like, he had he had like hobbled across the room to sit down. I was like, how does he do an hour and a half one-man uh, show? But he's amazing. Like he can just get it together yep. and be on stage. And yeah. yeah. Terrific guy.
0: Yeah. yeah it was very. And he said the thing that I, I always thought was so beautiful, which is that uh, if you're the star of a show, uh, you better shine up the spokes mm-hmm. around. Or if you're the if you're the star of a show, you're like the center of the wheel. Yeah, and then you better shine up the spokes around you because everyone that works with you, if you make them look good, they're yeah. gonna make yeah. you look good. Because he really talked about the point. difference
2: between Mary Tyler Moore, where she had that role, and he's like, I was on the show and I did the thing, and then I get the show Ed Grant, right? And all of a sudden, or Lou Grant, and all of a sudden he was that center. And he was like, he had a newfound respect for Mary Tyler Moore. He's like, she's really good right. that he didn't even realize how good she was until after he had to do that.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's so funny. I was just having a conversation this morning with uh, my kid's father and we were talking about positive reinforcement and how it's so much more helpful than negative. I mean, mm-hmm. think about it. the people in life who would say to you, Oh, you're good at that. Or, Oh, you can do that. Or nice. whatever, whatever someone says you're good at, you're like, oh, Really? Maybe I can do that. And <laughs> mm-hmm. when someone says no or when someone tries to make themselves taller by making you smaller or the people mm-hmm. around them smaller, it's just a really really reductive. It's a completely reductive atmosphere.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, that's why I laugh at every joke Stephen tells. (laughs) (laughs) That's not even
0: close to being true, by the way. That's a lie. You have a book tour. When does the book tour start? I
1: start May 1. I go to New York, Mm -hmm. D.C. You're doing the Barnes and
0: Nobles? Where are you going?
1: Um, In New York, I do the Hudson Guild. I do the Strand. And I do this AOL project. Then I go to D.C. And I go to Texas and Cincinnati, Seattle, in San Francisco, all in like Terrific. one day. Yeah. Now, But now I'm going to feel like I need to write a script that I try to sell on the plane. Right, yeah, right exactly. <laughs> are you going to do right. one in Los Angeles? Yeah, no? and then and then LA, yes. Uh, where are you going to do it here? Uh, Barnes & Noble at The Grove. They Wonderful. Do here. Great. Yeah. Uh, we will be there. We'll yeah. come see we'll you. Go. We'll yeah, come. awesome.
0: Of course. Um, do you have any sort of social media? Do you use any? Yeah, I do. do. MGH
1: underscore eight is my Instagram and mm-hmm. my Twitter. And I've you know, got the website, margigayhard.com, yeah.
0: Wonderful. You're such an angel and I Thank love you, you. and she adore you. She's Thank an you. You're the in best. America. Yes. <laughs> You're the
1: yeah. best. I feel like this is like the spa
0: the spa <laughs> oh, no. podcast, right? It really is. <laughs> oh, the, yeah,
1: no. yeah. Awesome. I love you guys. <laughs> You're Thank the you. Best. Thank you. All right. Thanks. <gasps>